Well, are you ready this morning? Yes. Here we go. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We'll look at 21 through 31 this morning. And I'll remind you that last week we found that Paul kind of switched gears a little bit in his approach as he continued his battle against the infiltration of the Judaizers into the church at Galatia. He urged the Galatians to become like him, which meant not under the law. And he said, even as I became like you as Gentiles who were not under the law. He pointed their minds back to when he first came to the city and how he preached to them from the midst of his infirmity and they received him outside of the cultural norm of the day, which would be to reject someone who was sick as being someone who is displeasing to God. The Jews practice that, the pagans practice that. And Paul said, not only did you treat me like I was an angel from heaven, you treated me like Jesus had come to preach to you himself. And then he said to them, after that initial aspect of our relationship that developed early on, have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, from this question, we recognize that we today are being viewed as enemies for believing and speaking the truth as found in God's word. You know, my son sent me something this morning that uh, actually was the very thing that got me restricted on social media. And uh, Tony Robbins was actually reporting on something that came out of Johns Hopkins University. And what he was reporting on is that 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, the same number of people died in the United States within 10 to 15,000 people as in any other year. However, in 2020, mysteriously, heart disease, which is the number one killer in the country, dropped by 30%. The flu was eliminated altogether. Nobody's dying of the flu anymore. And listen, if you tell the truth today, you get in trouble. And that's the age in which we live. If you tell spiritual truth today, you're in real trouble. Now, we need to be praying for Pastor Mike McClure in Calvary Chapel, San Jose. How many have been following that? They've been found in contempt of court, fined almost $2 million for having church services according to the Word of God, which says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together unless there's a pandemic. That's in Second Opinions chapter 2, by the way. <laughs> now, listen this morning. Paul had a personal exchange with the Galatians, and we personalized our text as well to apply to us as a church in these last days. And we found these three reminders. First of all, our message is not defined by cultural acceptance. We don't look to culture to find out what it is that truth is. Truth is defined by the Word of God. The entirety of the Word of God is truth. That's where you say, Anything that conflicts with or contradicts biblical truth is a lie. That's it. There's either truth or there's lies when it comes to things of a moral and spiritual nature. And lastly, we were reminded, even though Paul has been very, very aggressive in this letter, that there's nothing more Christ-like than loving the lost. Paul called the Galatians foolish two times in this text. And yet he turned to a very fatherly phrase that he possibly borrowed from the Apostle John, which was familiar to his writings, when he referred to them as my little children. Now that reminds us of the importance of love and what Paul would write in the famed love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, where he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, 
A sounding brass in Greek culture was simply something like a giant vase made out of solid brass. And when the players would be on the stage and speak, it would resonate. And it was kind of an amplification system, but it wasn't actually communicating anything itself. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, if all we're doing is spouting off about our spiritual gifts and our prowess in those gifts, but we don't have love, we're like an empty brass vase sitting on a stage of a Greek tragedy, just making noise and doing nothing else. And then he said, and though I have to get the prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am what? Nothing. nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. nothing. Now, in our world today, Saying that something is morally wrong is hate speech. And yet Paul demonstrated here that when souls are at risk, speaking the truth in love is something we must do no matter the response of culture, even if it means we're viewed as an enemy like we are today. Now, our text is going to take another turn, so to speak, at least in approach while the context and subject matter remains the same as it has been throughout the epistle. Christians were putting themselves under the Mosaic law. Are we under the law? No, we are not. Now, some housekeeping before we jump in, and that is we're going to run across a word in verse 24. The uh, Greek word is actually allegoreo, obviously our word. Allegory comes from it. It's translated as symbolic in our text. Now, here's the housekeeping part. Paul is not saying that in Genesis 15 to 17 that the story of Sarah, uh, Abraham or Sarai and Abram at that point in time and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac, it's not allegorical. He's saying there's something symbolic from it that we can learn and that's the matter at hand. He's using that particular Old Testament story as something to make a point in the New Testament age. Now, the events of Genesis 15 to 18 are not allegory. They are literal. Amen. 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 And Paul makes a point, and we will too, through the choice of his text this morning to quote, which we'll talk about a little bit as we go. But our title this morning is a bit lengthy, but it is the very subject Paul is addressing. And our title is Divine Promise or Personal Performance. Divine promise or personal performance. Now, this is the point Paul is going to drive home to those who want to put themselves under the law. His implied question is simply this. Would we rather rely on personal performance or adherence to the law to establish and continue in a relationship with God? Or would we rather rely on God's divine promises and his power to establish and continue in a relationship with him? I hope I know all of your answers. <laughs> We'd rather rely on divine promise. Amen? Amen? Now, Paul is going to reach all the way back, as I said, to Genesis to make his case. And one more thing to point out. Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail about the story of the birth of Ishmael and Isaac and the actions between uh, Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. And he has, therefore, the assumption that the Galatians are familiar with the events recorded there. And we're going to touch on a couple of things that Paul does not, but we're going to take the same basic approach. If you're not familiar with the story of the birth of Ishmael, uh, you can read Genesis 15 through 18 and find out the details. Just don't do that during the sermon. 
So with that said, you ready to go? Yes. Stand and read with me, please, from Galatians chapter 4. We'll begin with verses 21 through 26 and finish the chapter in our time today. Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman according through, or through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free, which is the mother of us all. And Father, we ask that you would aid us in our journey through this magnificent text this morning. Help us to get the takeaways that you would have us to uh, put in our hearts and minds today and give us ears to hear it by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, multiple commentators have mentioned that this is the most difficult passage in all of Galatians. And I think we can make our way through successfully if we simply keep in mind what it is. It's an illustration. Paul said, hey, there's some things here that we're going to use allegorically or symbolically to make a point. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram had said to the Lord that being childless meant he would have no heir to inherit the uh, wonderful things that God had blessed him with, but his chief servant, Eliezer, would be his heir. And the Lord said, no, one who comes from your own loins, comes from your own body, is going to be your heir. And then on top of that, your descendants through him will be numbered like the stars of the heavens. Now, 10 years after that conversation, we read this in Genesis 16, 1 to 5. Now, we normally, well, we'll probably pronounce it Sarai. The actual pronunciation is Sarai. Abram's wife had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, and if you need that explained to you, see Pastor Dave after the service. <laughs> Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave to her husband, uh, gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt, how long? Ten. Ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. That phrase is often recorded in Hebrew text as mispah, the Lord judge between us. Now, this is essential to understanding why Paul went in the direction that he did with his argument. The Jews, and therefore the Judaizers who had infiltrated the Galatian church, were always drawing a relationship between themselves and Abraham. Well, Paul says this, yeah. Well, Abraham had two sons. One was a work of the flesh, Ishmael, and one was born of the fulfillment of God's Genesis 15 promise, and his name is Isaac, meaning who knows what. 
What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Now, Hagar, the bondwoman and the handmaiden of Sarah, was the mother of Ishmael. And Sarah gave birth to the promised son when she was 90 years old. And he is the son of the free woman, Paul says. And there is symbolism with the two mothers and their two sons. He then goes on to say, Hagar, uh, Hagar is like Mount Sinai in Arabia, where the law was given. And this corresponds to the earthly city of Jerusalem, the capital city of the law, so to speak. He then says the Jerusalem from above. I find it interesting that he doesn't make a parallel or correlation with Sarah and those who are of the free woman. But he makes a correlation of the Jerusalem from above. He says the Jerusalem from above is the mother of us all, meaning the mother of all who believe God. By the way, not believe in God. Even the demons believe in God and tremble. But those who believe God, who believe what he says, who believes that everything he does is right and everything he writes is true. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, earthly Jerusalem was a home to a system of sacrifices and rituals, none of which could save the human soul. It was believing God like Abraham that has righteousness placed into anyone's account, be it in the Old Testament age or in the new, not the works of the law. That's why Paul would tell the church at Rome in 3, 9 to 20 of Romans. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, no one could self-justify. And all the world may become, next word, guilty before who? God. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his, God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this is what Paul was trying to get through to the Galatians. Putting themselves under the law was like relying on personal performance as the means by which they became acceptable and therefore could interact with God. He said, this is like what Sarah did with Hagar. She tried to make God's promise happen through the flesh. And Paul said in verse 24, these are the two covenants, the bondage of the law and the freedom from above. So that brings us to our first point, and I'm not sure you're ready for it. Are you? Yes. Here it comes. Hang on. Listen all the way through. If our eternal destiny is determined by our behavior, we're all going to hell. Somebody say amen. Listen. If our eternal destiny is determined by our behavior, we're all going to hell. This is what Paul is trying to get through the heads of the Galatians. They were turning to something that couldn't save them. The works of the law could justify no flesh in God's sight. But again, he would write to the Romans in 8, 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be, what's the next word? Fulfilled. Where? In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And again, the two covenants that Paul makes mention of are bondage and freedom. 
And that tells us everything we need to know about securing our eternal destiny. The law had no provision to save. It only condemned all under sin. The freedom from the law of sin and death comes exclusively by being in Christ and becoming new creations, having old things passed away. Now, with our point in mind, we can see why Paul was so astonished that the Galatians would want to turn back to the, the bondage of the law over the free gift of God through Christ. Now, listen this morning. I see you're still all in stunned silence over our point this morning. But it's true, right? Can you earn your way to heaven? People are under the idea today that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Here's another wake-up call. You ready? There are no good people. That's what God says. He's the standard. He's the unit of measure. We have to measure ourselves not against each other, but against him. And according to him, there's none good, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. There, everyone has turned aside and gone after their own way. And the fact is, heaven and hell will be populated according to which covenant a person chooses, whether the bondage of personal performance or the freedom of the gift of grace through faith of our own salvation. Listen, I don't want my eternal destiny determined by my behavior. You? No, of course not. I want my behavior covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and for my righteousness to be presented to the Father through him. It's the only way any of us are getting in. Somebody say amen. amen. Now let's look at 27 through 28. You guys all recovered? Yes. All right. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now, Paul here quotes from Isaiah 54.1, which gives us the context of his statement. He was talking about the Isaiah, that is, the Babylonian captivity that was going to come in a couple of centuries from Isaiah's writing. Now, the general consensus of the commentators regarding what Paul is saying is, is that they were highlighting the fact that after the Babylonian captivity, God was going to do something more significant than he had previously done uh, through and in Israel. Now, I would agree with that, at least in part. But I think there's more for us to see than just the regathering of the Jews back into the land and the other things associated uh, with that particular passage, Isaiah 54 and on. If we keep reading, I think we can get a glimpse of what is clearly in view. Moving forward in the same chapter to 5 through 8 of Isaiah 54, Paul quotes verse 1, 5 through 8 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of what? The whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife, when you refuse, says your God. Then he says this, For a mere moment I have forsaken you. That's the Babylonian captivity, and I believe it includes the diaspora of nearly 2,000 years. But with great mercies I will gather you. That began on May 14, 1948. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your what? Your Redeemer. Then further out in Isaiah 56.1, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be 
revealed. Now, what all this means is going to require another stunning revelation from the pulpit. Are you ready? Paul quotes from Isaiah 54, 1. And right before Isaiah 54 is Isaiah 53. I told you it's going to be deep. Now listen, Isaiah 53 says this, among other things, in 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord, speaking of the Father, to bruise him, speaking of the Son. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, meaning his descendants. In other words, his death was going to bring descendants. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their what? Iniquities, their trespasses and sins. Now, I don't believe that what Isaiah wrote and what Paul quoted was limited to post-exilic or post-Babylonian Israel when they were like a youthful wife who had been refused. I think what is in view is what Paul says about we being like Isaac in that we are children of promise. Now, after the Son of God was wrongfully arrested, tried, executed, and resurrected, what happened 40 days later? The church was born. And this is what is in view, I believe. This is part of the descendants like the sands of the sea. And what God did through Israel after the Babylonian captivity was far greater than what he had done before because after the Babylonian captivity, God sent his son into the world as a savior of the world, which includes the savior of the church. And therefore the desolate has more children. And this includes the children of promise. And Paul says, that's us. We're children of promise like Isaac. And therefore we are included in the descendants of Abraham, numbering like the stars of the heavens. The Jerusalem from above, which is the mother of us all, is available exclusively through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you get to heaven without Jesus? No. no. So therefore, all the children of promise are children who have a relationship with Jesus. That's why the Lord preached to the spirits who were in prison. They heard the gospel. They had believed God. Righteousness was already uh, put into their account. But he had to be the first one to resurrect from the dead and remain alive. And therefore, from that point on, from the point of Christ's ascension, then all who are absent from the body are present with the Lord. There's no place of waiting uh, for them to go to since Christ is alive. He is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen. Amen. Now, here's our next truth as it relates to our title and subject this morning. Here's a point of consideration. Listen, you can't live free if you're waiting for death to reveal your eternal destiny. You can't live free if you're waiting for death to reveal your eternal destiny. Now think about what Paul has been saying. If you're living under the law, you have to live up to the law. You have to live according to the law. And you may do well today, but what about tomorrow? Or what about the next day? If you have to earn your way to heaven, how do you know when you have? Is it like a frequent flyer program? Once you do so many good works, you uh, get a free pass? Or so many consecutive days of hearing to the law, adhering to the law you're in? How are you notified that you've been qualified? If you don't know, you can't stop trying to earn it. 
And that means if you don't know, you're in bondage to live according to the law and not free. But Paul, again, in Romans would say, remember, Galatians has been called a mini book of Romans, so we can relate back and forth frequently. <clears throat> Romans 5, 15 to 17, we're told the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses, all of ours, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance uh, of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, which is who? Jesus Christ. Listen, we've got another bell ringer here. You ready for it? If we could lose our salvation, we already would have. After some of the stuff you guys have done. All of us, right? Listen, if we could lose our salvation, we already would have. But it's not a performance-based relationship we have with God. It is a love relationship, a free gift relationship that we enjoy with Him. The free gift is not like our offenses. It is the gift by the grace of God through the one man who died for the sins of the whole world, and that is Jesus Christ. And in John 8, 31 to 36, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide or stay within the parameters of my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. Free. They answered him, here's what we mentioned earlier, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone, even though they were under the bondage of the Roman Empire when they said that. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free, free indeed. Listen, if Paul would have been in on this conversation and he heard the Pharisees say, we are Abraham's descendants, he said, that's right, through Hagar. Now, Paul might have said that. Now, if we choose to live by the law, in Galatians 5.3, Paul's going to say you have to live up to all of it. James would say if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And thus rejoicing and living free is not possible. And yet these are the very things that were promised by God. To live in a manner of rejoicing. To live free. Even free indeed. And the joy of our salvation is that it is our salvation. It is something that is ours personally. It's a gift and the price to obtain it was paid in full. If we have to wait for death to know our eternal destiny, all of our days are going to be lived in joyless bondage and obligatory subservience to whatever framework we've determined the law to be. Now, I may not behave the way I should all the time. Amen. What are you saying amen for? <laughs> okay, I admit it. I may not behave the way I should all the time, but the purchase price for my salvation was paid in full. Amen. And eternal life was given to me as a gift. Now, so let's all get on the bus. Does that mean we can live like hell and still expect to go to heaven? 
not at all. But what it does mean is that in those moments when we act like somebody who's going to hell <laughs> instead of heaven, we can be assured that our redemption price remains fully paid and our eternal destiny remains unchanged. Christians mess up. Yes. Christians are mean sometimes yes. to each other. Yes. Do we lose our salvation? If you could, you already would have. All of us, right? Now, if death is when your eternal destiny is revealed, how can you live free indeed? We are children of promise like Isaac, not children of bondage like Ishmael. Now, let's finish off here in 29 through 30, and I'll leave you alone after that. <laughs> but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so... It is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the what? Free. free. Now, we need to remember, in antiquity, Hagar is known as the matriarch of the Arabians, or the Arab peoples, the people born through her son, Ishmael. And Paul mentions here the persecution of Isaac by Ishmael, which was both historic and is current. The historic portion is recorded in Genesis 21. It relates strictly to the two sons, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Currently, it relates to the two sons' descendants, the Arabs and the Israelites or the Jews. Have they been at odds for centuries? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Genesis 21 records the personal persecution. 8 to 13 will be the verses where we're told the child, the child of promise, Isaac, was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, doing what? Scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Now, first of all, God did not cast off the Arab peoples. There are wonderful Arab Christians today all around the world. Amen? Amen? Even though they are predominantly Muslim, something else I think we need to recognize, the Arabs are not the largest population of Muslims in the world. Indonesia has 300 million Muslims, and there are uh, certainly other groups that are Muslim as well. But we know the predominant belief system amongst the Arabs is Islam. And Isaac and Ishmael were half-brothers, and Ishmael was the product of a doubt-based decision that pushed Abraham, or at that time, Abram and Sarai, into the flesh. Now, even predating that, God told Abraham in Genesis 12, or Abram in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, meaning through you and your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is the promise that was being attached to the comments made by Sarah to Abraham and God endorsing her statement. It was the son of promise that God was going to bring a blessing to all the earth through. For Jesus was not born, even though the Palestinians say Jesus was Palestinian. 
Listen, first of all, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. The Palestinians are Arabs. As a matter of fact, they are Syrian Arabs by definition. The Syrians will tell you that. And the fact is that Jesus was the king of the Palestinians. He's the king of the, the Jews. So he had to come through the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, who was renamed by God, what? Israel. Now, it was this son that there would be a blessing in his descendants that uh, all the earth would experience, not the son of the flesh. Now, here's why that's important for us to remember. That tells us God doesn't accept us doing his will our way. He doesn't accept us doing his will our way. He said Abraham and Sarah were going to be parents. And it was their child through whom all the earth would be blessed. And that did not mean a surrogate mother was necessary for the promise to be fulfilled. Now, it's clear that the descendants of the two half-brothers have been at odds for millennia, as we mentioned a moment ago. But it is kind of interesting that Saudi Arabia, really the home of the Arab peoples, is the one nation that's going to protest the invasion of Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, and Libya in the Ezekiel invasion of chapters 38 and 39 of that book. So, you know, who knows what all God's going to do in Saudi Arabia during the tribulation period. We do know there's going to be peoples from every tribe, tongue, nation that are going to be saved during the tribulation. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul ends his illustration by saying, so then, brethren, that means therefore, or we might even say, in conclusion, he says, we are not children, descendants of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, here's what that translates to us as a point of application today. Listen this morning. We need to get this in our heads and hearts in times such as these. Man's plans don't change God's. Man's plans don't change God's. Now, this is a word, as I said, we need to remember in these days as things are changing. The world is changing. Now, I always like to point whenever you talk about prophecy to the fact that there's an escalation that is introduced in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, where the things, uh, the full unveiling of Christ, remember the word apocalypsis, translated, in, and let me just throw this out there. Anybody got any pet peeves? Nope. All pastors have biblical pet peeves. There is no book of Revelations. There's no S on the end. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is the apocalypsis or apocalypsis, depending on what translation you're reading, of Jesus. It means to take the lid off or for Christ to be fully unveiled or fully revealed. And he says in the opening verse that these things are going to shortly take place. And that means to happen in quick succession once they begin. Have things sped up lately? Did Jesus say at the introduction of the Olivet Discourse that there were going to be a series of natural course of life events that were going to happen in a birth pang-like progression? Are the birth pangs getting closer and closer? Are they getting stronger and stronger? I'm guessing Jesus is coming to get us soon. Now, Abraham and Sarah's deviation from the faith did not diminish God's faithfulness to his word even after Ishmael was born, whom Abraham loved. The conversation went like this in Genesis 17, 15 to 22, where God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah 
shall be her name, princess, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a man be born to uh, a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, okay, Abe, we're friends. So what do he say? No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes. I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, the one that will bless the whole earth and every nation, I will establish with who? Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up to Abraham. There was no negotiation like there was over Sodom. Now, it seemed like God was taking too long for this elderly couple to have a child. So they came up with their own plan. And then Abraham said, okay, God, how about if you deviate from your plan and let's go with mine since we are friends. God's short answer had two words in it, two letters in it. First was in, the second was no. No, God said no. Now listen, it might seem like it's taking a long time for Jesus to come and take us to the place he's prepared for us, but that doesn't mean his plans have changed. It does mean, however, we need to keep following his his plans and not deviate to our own. After all, Isaiah would also say in 55, 8 through 11, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says who? The says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me, how? Void. Void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and you agree with. No. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now listen, we need to remember in these last days that things are happening exactly like the Lord said they would happen. We may not have known or been able to foresee all the specifics of how things were going to go down or unfold. We may, we, we may not have been expecting things to happen the way they have happened in our country and world. Though many have posed the question who study and teach prophecy, the United States is from, absent from the prophetic scenario, at least the uh, end of it. And really there's no mention of scripture or in scripture of the United States of America, though many have tried to do some uh, gymnastics interpretively and, and put us in there. But here's what we do know. God said there's going to be lawlessness. And it's going to abound. He said there's going to be a march toward globalism. And we are well on our way. He said someday commerce is only going to be able to be conducted by those who take a mark associated with the beast of Revelation 13. Now, uh, let me just say this. There's so much stuff out there. 
And I was talking with Amir and, and uh, Jim Markell uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did a little update. And you know, the, the, the word translated mark in Revelation 13 means a brand. It implies something on the surface of the skin. And it could be a Sharpie that says Satan, 666 or something. <laughs> We've created all these other things, these RFID chips and all these other things because of their technological capacities. But it could be something as simple as something on the surface of the skin. Could be a biometric tattoo, that's possible. But it could just be a stamp or a brand that's readable that you walk into the store and they see it on your forehead or you show them uh, your right hand and you're let into the store and are able to make purchases. Now, I say that for this reason, it's not the vaccine. <laughs> the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Has anybody gotten a shot in their forehead? <laughs> or the back of their hand? Where's the vaccine being administered? In the arm. Listen, it is not the vaccine. The mark of the beast, beast is not the vaccine, but it is the normalizing of governments making a demand for you to operate within their system. You have to do this or you have to do that. So very definitely it's a contributing factor in that sense. But let me remind you, we're not gonna be here when the demand for the mark is made. Amen? Now, the Lord told us all these things beforehand in his word. And we're watching the world march toward their ultimate fulfillment during the tribulation. And I say that for this reason. It is not time to jump ship on the Bible and start teaching things that are contrary to the Bible. The Lord is coming soon. Abraham and Sarah did not expect there to be 25 years between the promise and fulfillment of it. And they messed up big time during that time. But listen, their failures did not negate God's faithfulness to his promise. And we may feel like we've been waiting too long for the rapture. <laughs> Don't leave me hanging up here. Get those hands in the air. We may feel like we've been waiting too long for the rapture. But listen, those who have been saved between now and when we think it should have happened are glad God waited. Because right. he's, he's still willing to... Uh, none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. repentance, a change of mind and life direction. Now, things are getting crazy. Well, listen, all that means is we need to be ready for a soon coming moment and twinkling of an eye transition into the very presence of God. And to that I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for your marvelous word. We thank you for these truths that we've tried to package in a way that we can take with us and understand. And we thank you that our salvation is not based on our personal behavior or performance to any law or code. But we thank you that you've saved us by grace through, grace through faith in the shed blood of Christ as the covering for our sin. We thank you also that you've given us your spirit as a guarantee of that future inheritance and that that spirit that you placed within us, that helper who's comparable to you, as you said in John 14, is going to teach us all things, is going to give us a, an understanding of, of moral and spiritual truth and will guide our steps and order them even. So we thank you, Lord, that uh, we aren't without proof and we don't have to wait until death 
to know whether or not we're actually saved. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, as you've told us time and again in multiple ways that the law was never the vehicle for salvation. It was only to point out sin. So, Lord, help us not to be legalistic and help us not to be lawless, but help us, Lord, rather to be balanced as your word is and to live by the Spirit in accordance with your word for your glory because we are saved, not because we're trying to earn it. So we thank you for the free gift. We thank you that it's not like the offense. We thank you that whosoever will may come. We thank you that you yet remain today unwilling that any should perish. And Lord, as anxious as we are for your coming to get us and meeting you in the air with the dead in Christ. I pray, Lord, for all in this room and online and around the world who have loved ones that they're concerned about after the rapture or missing the rapture or they know that they've refused your offer of salvation. Lord, we pray that you would move by your spirit and open doors of opportunity to share one more time the only message that can save the gospel of Christ, no matter how much the world is rejecting it today. We know there's but one gospel and it hasn't changed. So help us, Lord, to stay faithful to your word, even in the midst of a faithless age. We give you thanks. We honor you. We praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Amen.